Father, we are in your presence because you promised where two or three are gathered in my name, you will be there. And we believe, Father, even though we are small in number, that you are awesome in this presence. You are the mighty God, mighty to save. So build us up this evening. Edify us, strengthen us. Rebuild the walls that have been broken. The foundations which have been shaken. So that Lord will be a set of people who will build, who are built upon the rock. When every hope, earthly prop gives way, you said, you alone are my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. Every other ground is sinking sand. And therefore, you alone this evening are our hope and our prayer. Therefore, come Lord, teach us your word. Anoint us afresh this evening. Wash us by the water of your word. Sanctify us and consecrate us for a use that will glorify your name in this life and in all eternity. To that end, I pray that you would anoint the speaking and the hearing of this word and strengthen us and challenge us to walk the way that you called us to walk. Because you said, O Lord, strive to enter. Because many will choose, many will want to enter through that way, but only few will be able to do it. O Lord, grant us grace. We pray this evening. We praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, I titled this message as uh, Spiritual Violence. Spiritual Violence. Okay, there is a violence which is allowed. Okay. So we'll try to look at the text. We'll jump right into the text and we'll try to draw a few lessons from them. Um, In Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 to 12, this is uh, what Jesus tells the disciples of John when they come and John is imprisoned. And you know why he is imprisoned? Because he confronts Herod and tells him, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife and who takes offense is Herodias (laughs) takes offense and because of her he puts John in prison and John is wondering what why this has happened to him and therefore he sends a few of his disciples to talk to Jesus and asking him this question Uh, should we wait for another or are you really the Messiah and this is what uh, Jesus has to say after uh, they leave. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 onwards, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not one risen, one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then, and from the days of John the Baptist, Until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. You know, the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. 
and the violent take it by force. It's very interesting. Two things. The kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. There's a violence that happens to those people who are in the kingdom, a violence that happens to those who are inside the kingdom of heaven and they in turn are violent and oppressed toward or into it. That's what Luke's gospel chapter 16, uh, the same passage, uh, an equivalent passage will say. The law, 16, 16. It says, the law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, that is since that from John onwards, the kingdom of God, it's the kingdom of heaven is what Matthew chapter 11 will say. And Luke will say, kingdom of God has been preached. And everyone is pressing into it and the word actually is violencing into it. That's remarkable. It's remarkable, no? Something is happening here. People, after the kingdom of God is preached, everyone is violencing into it. Who is that? This everyone? Obviously those who have accepted the gospel of the kingdom. Not everyone that does not mean everyone who heard. No, 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 no. Not everyone is violencing, but those who have accepted the gospel of the kingdom. And by the way, the gospel, the good news, and we have been studying this over and over again in different contexts in our church. The gospel is the gospel of the what? Of the kingdom. Okay? It's very important to understand. Okay? We people who are born in a democracy have no idea what a kingdom is. Yeah, we've looked, possibly looked at a few kingdoms here and there, but no. The actual kingdom, a kingdom is kingdom as a form of government. That's what it means. Democracy as a form of government and kingdom as a form of government. We have never experienced what it means to be under a king. We are Abraham Lincoln's followers. Democracy is, democracy is government by the people, for the people, no, of the people, by the people, for the people. But the kingdom of God, it says in Colossians, all things were created for him, through him, and everything for him, for his glory. They were all created. Yeah, Remember that song? We are created for his pleasure. So we in the democracy, we have no idea what it means to be in a kingdom. And therefore we need to understand. It's a, it's a process, especially in this century, uh, in, in which we live, we have no idea. Uh, like uh, I remember Pastor telling us uh, the other day in the men's meeting, he said, you know, you don't have any idea what it means to be in a kingdom. And he was talking about an example of this lady, of this uh, prince in the kingdom who falls in love with this girl and gets her pregnant, but she doesn't belong to the royal line. So he can't marry her. So he has a subject in the kingdom who is engaged to marry another one. He calls his subject and he tells him, you marry this lady. That's it. Period. And everything else, that guy is all his dreams, aspirations, everything fall to the ground and he has to obey the voice of the king. Period. That is what it means to be sovereign. His will be done. That's what it means. Okay, so the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom and we need to understand that very carefully. Uh, this is uh, 
Why, why does, why did uh, the kingdom of God suffer violence from the time of John the Baptist? Because this is the message that he preached in God, Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 to 2 onwards. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the moment he proclaimed the kingdom of heaven, he suffered violence. The Pharisees came and asked, who are you? He said, brood of vipers. It was not pretty. And Herod, he said, you cannot marry your brother's wife. Put in prison. Experienced violence. Right from the time of John the Baptist. The kingdom of heaven was suffering violence because he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What happens when John the Baptist is put, is put in prison? This is after Jesus comes out of the wilderness after he is tested by, 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 uh, Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. This is what he comes, he comes out and he hears that John is put in prison and this is what he says. This is in Gospel according to Mark chapter 1 verse 14 onwards. Now when John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the, what? Of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the moment you say the kingdom of God is at hand, automatically there is a confrontation between two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. The prince of the power of the air. Who is the ruler of those who are the sons of disobedience. That is what Ephesians will say. Chapter 2. It says, immediately a confrontation. And Jesus not only preached the kingdom of God, he demonstrated the kingdom of God. Look at what happens in the same gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, after he, uh, uh, he, uh, I mean, he takes into his wing uh, the 12 disciples. This is what happens. He goes to the synagogue and he begins to preach. Mark chapter 1 verses 21 onwards. Then they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and cried out. Till that day, the man was bringing the unclean spirit into the synagogue and no, but nothing was happening. Okay. And Derek Prince says, these days, if a man has got an unclean spirit, they will put the man out of the church. But Jesus doesn't do that. He puts the unclean spirit out of the church. And this is exactly what happens. Saying, let us alone, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? And, and, then, you, and, you, and then you know the and, uh, what happens, right? Immediately he says, come out. And it comes out. You know what? They're all astonished and they say, what kind of a teaching is this? That he commands the evil spirits and they come out. It's an immediately there's a confrontation between the powers of darkness and uh, the powers of uh, and the kingdom of God. That is, he demonstrates that. There's a demonstration of the powers of darkness and the kingdom of God immediately. Let me tell you something. No, As long as there is no disturbance in our lives. We have really not been apprehended by the gospel of the kingdom. Really, truly not. Right from the time we entered into the kingdom, 
our very entrance into the kingdom was a product of violence. You should understand that. He's, you know that passage in Nicod- uh, when uh, Jesus meets Nicodemus. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see. Unless you are born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot even enter. We know that very, very famous. But what happens? How are you born again into the, into the kingdom of God? There is a confrontation with the, between the powers of darkness and the kingdom of God. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 onwards. Our entrance into the kingdom. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 onwards. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. That means in order for us to enter into the kingdom of God, blood was spilt. You need to understand that. There was some act of violence that took place. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You see, you know, that is exactly what happened in the old covenant. If you want to enter, and if you had sin in your heart, you had to bring bring a guilt offering, and a lamb had to be slain. Blood had to be spilt. Only then you would have been reconciled to God. You see? Look at it. First Peter chapter 1 verses 18 onwards. Knowing that you were not redeemed. I like this word redeemed. Means purchased. With corruptible things like gold or silver from your aimless conduct received by your tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ. Something happened. The blood of the Lamb of God was spilt and only then the same chapter of 1 Peter chapter 1, look at what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has caused us to be born again. Unless you are born again. But how? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not only the blood of Christ was spilled, he was killed on the cross for our sins. That is how the entrance into the kingdom was made possible. It was through redemption. I was listening to one man of God. He gives us a fantastic example. He was preaching to the Maoris in New Zealand. Okay. Maoris, some of them were excellent carpenters. So he tells them the story of a carpenter who had a son. This carpenter had a son. So, during the course of this time, or, or a period of time, the son grew up and he also started to learn the trade of his father. And then, he made a beautiful boat. Nice boat, put some sails on it. Beautiful boat, polished it, tarnished it, everything. And then he went to the river and he put the boat on the river and he started playing with it. And suddenly, the wind changed and the tide changed. And the river, just that wave took the boat right into the river and he lost it. And he started weeping and sobbing and he couldn't get the boat back. So he left. After a few days, there was this guy who was walking on the banks of the river and the tide changed and brought back the boat into the shore. 
And he looked at the boat. And he looked at it. It's so beautiful boat. So what does he do? He takes it to the local toy shop. And he gives it to the toy. Uh, to the to the shopkeeper. Shopkeeper looks at it and he says, beautiful boat. So he takes it and he tarnishes it. And nicely, not tarnishes, he just varnishes it and he makes it nice and beautiful. And he puts it on the shelf of the shop. And after a few days, this boy... He is walking along the road and he finds this shop, beautiful shop, beautiful boat and he recognizes immediately the boat. But now he can't go and tell the shopkeeper this is mine because he would not believe it. Already there is a price tag on the boat, maybe let's say thousand dollars or forty dollars, whatever dollars, some money is there. And he goes to the shopkeeper and he says, you know what, I need that boat, please don't sell it to anybody, I don't have the money, I need that boat. So he gives him a deposit of few dollars and he goes, works, does a lot of part-time jobs, everything, everything, saves, 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 saves and two, three months later he comes and he gives the money to the shopkeeper and he takes the boat and he comes out of the shop and he hugs the boat like that. And he says, you are mine twice over. That is redemption. You know what happened? Let me show you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Those days there was no rain. There was a mist which was going out and that used to come and water the ground and it was like, you know, it used to make the ground wet and soft. So God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And what did he do? He put his lips and his nostrils to the dust and he breathed into man. And Adam became a living soul. And then what happened? Sin marred Adam and he was sold in the slave market. But God wanted to win him back, so what does he do? He sends a son, he pays the price, redeems us, is resurrected from the dead. His disciples are all discouraged, but then he comes into the upper room where the disciples are there, and he comes and says, what? John's Gospel chapter 20, verses 21 onwards. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also sent you. And when he had said this, he breathed into them, what? The Holy Spirit and the church was born again. How? Through the redemption that was purchased on the cross. Why? What happened? You know what? Being Birth is a very messy business, by the way. I was telling uh, the Romans Bible study yesterday. It's a messy affair. If you have been to the labor room, you know. Boy, it's a messy affair. Nine months, birth pangs. And every born again, it was a messy affair. I mean, sometimes, you know, children, uh, I mean, not children, people, uh, the person in the womb doesn't give much uh, trouble. Uh, Normal delivery through nine months, happy, peaceful, comes out. But some babies, and every baby is different, you know that, right? Abigail and Manuela, total difference. Every, some people, they have no issues when they are born again, slow, smooth sailing. But some people give you a lot of trouble. You pray, you intercede, you bring him to church, that guy goes out more over and over nine years, ten years, twenty years. And after persistent prayer one day, 
on again. You see, it's a messy affair. It's not easy. Okay. So this is exactly what happens. What does God do? He wins us back twice over and it was through violence. Without the shedding of blood, there cannot be remission of sins and he has to shed his blood. The precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb and he had to pay the penalty. You were redeemed and you have been won twice over. God created you and he recreated you. You were born and you were born again into the kingdom of God. How is that made possible? Through the redemption in Christ Jesus by his blood we have forgiveness of sins. That is how we entered into God's kingdom. How did this happen? You know that, right? Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 to 6. Famous verse. But he was wounded for... Okay, Let us say, our is very general. Let us say, my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him and by his stripes I am healed. Why? I was like a sheep going astray. I have turned to my own way and the Lord has laid upon him my iniquity. You know what iniquity? There's a very interesting word in the Bible. If you were, if you are there in our church, you know sin, transgression, iniquity. Iniquity means basically rebellion. Okay. The two, the two words, iniquity means rebellion and when Cain has an argument with God, he says, my punishment is what? Too much to bear. You know, the word punishment is also iniquity. So iniquity is rebellion and also the punishment because of rebellion. And both the rebellion and punishment upon of our rebellion was put on Jesus. Remarkable, isn't it? And that is how the Lord's anger or the wrath of God was satisfied. By laying our iniquity on the cross. I'm telling you, saints, we need to have revisiting this experience over and over again because over a period of time the blood of Christ might become a very common thing. That's what Hebrews will say. Salvation is, grace is free but it is never cheap. It costed his son. Infinite price was paid for us. For us. Never, ever, ever downplay that. And what happened? How was he bruised? Look at what it says. What, how does, how is rebellion? How does God look at rebellion? You know, he looks at Israel and he says, you know what? This is how I look at your rebellion. This is in Isaiah chapter 5 verses 6 and 7, by the way. Isaiah chapter 1 verses uh, 5 and 6. This is in the NIV translation. Isaiah chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you what? Persist in rebellion. Your whole head is injured. Your heart is Afflicted. This is how he sees us. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds, bruises, open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Now tell me, what is this picture? It is of Jesus dying on the cross. His head injured. His heart afflicted. His heart was broken. From the top of his head to the sole of his feet, wounds, bruises, open source. That is rebellion. That is rebellion. Remember that song we were singing yesterday in our Bible study? When I survey the wondrous course. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingle down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, nor thorns compose so rich a crown. 
where the whole realm of nature mine, where an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You need to understand, in order for us to be born again into the kingdom, it took a violent death of the Son of God to purchase our redemption. Never forget that. So once we are born again into the kingdom, what happens? Let us read that. Born into the kingdom at war. <laughs> you need to understand this. Let me tell you, you know. I'll give you an example. Um, I was in Canada for, for several years. There's a process of settling down in Canada. First, initially you have to uh, apply for what we call as permanent residency. And in, 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 in US they call it the green card. Okay. Green card, uh, the, the actual, what, what do you, what do you mean by green card? Green card has a title, resident alien. <laughs> that means you are there, but you are an alien. You are not still a part of the country. You don't have rights to vote, etc. You can't take any government jobs. Nothing. So even in Canada, you can apply for several jobs, but government jobs are only for citizens. Okay. And if you are an Indian, there is no dual citizenship. The day you become the citizen of Canada, you have to forfeit the citizenship of US, of, of India. You only become a PIO, what we call as person of, POI, person of, yeah, PIO, person of Indian origin. Now think about it, no? Let's say 2003, I got my permanent residence in Canada. I have to work for four years and pay taxes and prove my loyalty <laughs> as a taxpayer. <laughs> and then after that, I'm eligible to apply for citizenship. And let us say, and July 4th is your Independence Day, right? Yeah. On that day, we have all these uh, celebrations of the new people who are made citizens of the US. They all come. And on July 4th, let's say, hypothetical situation, I have become the citizen of Canada. In other words, I have been born again in Canada on that day. Let's say Russia declares war on Canada. The government of Russia is opposed to the government of Canada. And now, I am a citizen of the government of Canada. I am a enemy of Russia. What has happened? I have been born into a kingdom which is at war. That's exactly what has happened to you the moment you were born again into the kingdom of God. You have been born into a kingdom which is at war. Unfortunately, many, many believers don't have a cotton-picking idea of this. I mean, they're absolutely, I mean, I'll show you a figure sometime later. I don't want to go ahead of myself. So as at ease. They have no idea that you are at war. And you know that, I mean, if you've been coming to a church, there's a threefold war that we have to fight. Look at what it says in First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war, look at that, war against your soul. What has happened? Your flesh, your old man which was born of Adam, he has declared war against you. You know that? The flesh lusts against the spirit. <laughs> the spirit lusts against the flesh and they are at enmity against each other. You have become, you have a resident enemy inside of you. Literally, you are sleeping with an enemy. The old man. He's at war. 
Another system is at war with you. That is what we call as uh, the world system. And we studied it in several contexts. In John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. In other words, the moment you are born again, there is what we call the status quo of this world, which has declared war against you. And they hate you. And then, there's another guy. In First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, which is nothing but your enemy, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's it's remarkable, I'm telling you, you know. If you've seen National Geographic for the first time, when I, used to, I, I never knew that uh, a bunch of lions are called a pride. You know, it's called a pride of lions. Yeah, and let's say you have this lion. Lions have males and females, and the males are only for protection. They are like the hafta vassal types. They guarantee you safety, okay? <laughs> and they ask the females to go and work, and they will come and have their lion's share. So there's a male, or or a couple of males, a bunch of gay, a bunch of males, who, and they they protect the pride, so called, and the females are doing all the hard work. And then they have uh, cubs through that. And then what happens over a period of time? You have this lion growing older and older and older and older and he, this male lion and he has no strength to actually protect his pride because he has to constantly fight competing prides. And there are males all around taking to, uh, seeking to take over prides. You know what they do? They come, they fight with this older lion Chase that fellow out. And you know what they do? How do they take over the pride? You know how do they do it? They kill all the cubs. You have no idea. When I saw it, I said, what? Because they want to have a pure, clean bloodline. No competition. And this is exactly what is happening over. I mean, if you've seen the movie... uh, Simba? Lion King, right? You know what I'm talking about. Of course, we had Sir Elton John singing, who had no idea what circle of life is, by the way. (laughs) He was yours to hear, let him hear. Yeah. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is seeking someone to devour. So you have the pride of the enemy. Seeking you. Threefold attack. We know this. But I want to just look at three aspects of each of these things. How do we fight? How do we, how are we spiritually violent? When it comes to the flesh, there could be several strategies. One of the primary things in the church. How do we fight the flesh? Matthew 11, verse 6. Let's read it together. Blessed are they who are not ah, offended because of me. You know, one of the, the best, I mean, the, let me just, let me not explain. Let me just show you scriptures, okay. What happens to people when the word of God comes? I was telling the other day during the 
Tuesday Bible study. Um, whenever I, the word of God comes, <laughs> I say there's some people, there's a boxing match going on in the mind. Okay. And they're just fighting the word, fighting the word. It's like, I want to punch this preacher. It's going on. And, I, and, and, and the person said, can you see that? I said, yeah. <laughs> I can see that. People fighting the word. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 10. And the NIV. To whom can I speak and give warning? <laughs> Who will listen to me? Flesh, right? How do you fight the flesh? Their ears are uncircumcised or closed. So they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is what? Offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. Because it challenges the fleshly desires. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon called Holy Violence. And he describes graphically the people who are spiritually violent. Look at what he says. He's talking about these people who are spiritually violent. Meet them as they go to the house of prayer. And ask them why they are going. They know right well what they are going after. Look at what he says. This is what they say. I am going there to find mercy, to find peace and rest to my soul. For I am in anguish about sin and I want to find the Savior. I am in hopes that being in the way, the Lord will meet with me. So I am about to lay myself down by the side of the pool of Bethsaida in the hope that the Holy Spirit will stir the pool and enable me to step in. You know, I went recently to to the revival meeting in the church. Pastor was preaching and he was telling, you know, he said, he said, during a sermon, not the, the entire sermon may not be for you, but there will be one specific line in the sermon when the Holy Spirit comes, he stirs up the water and you have to be ready to receive it. And by the way, the ESV has taken that off from your Bibles. The stirring of the pool of Bethesda. Think about it. Do you come with us attitude? Are you in anguish about sin? I mean, think about it, no? How many people are really anguished about their sin? How do they come to the church of God? Lord, I'm at your pool, Lord. I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to stir up the water so that I can get in and get whole. Do you have that holy desperation? No wonder. Our lives are shallow. What is that? I'm in hopes that being in the way. I'm hoping. You know, how many people take church for granted? I'm hoping that the Lord will show me mercy. Do you come with that attitude? And the Lord has to show me mercy. Come on. I give him the tithes and my offerings and my attendance. It says that 60% of the church do not visit church on every Sunday. Do you know that? There's only 40% who are absolutely regular to church. And I'm, being, I'm giving you a very not a non-conservative estimate. Are you in anguish about your sin? Are you, I mean, think about it. How many of you are really struggling with sin? 
your hands up in the air, please. Let me see. Oh, thank God. That is the reason we are on, on, on Wednesday. Do you come with that attitude? Lord, I'm in anguish because of my sin. And I want to come and meet God. So that when he stirs up the water by the Holy Spirit, I'm waiting for that one word. One word, one word, one word. This is how Paul describes, this is what we call as repentance. Is it offense or is there repentance? Is a question. Second Corinthians chapter 7. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I'm telling you honestly, many times I left the church grieving. I, I wish I didn't come. The other day I was telling pastor, I was getting so restless, pastor, I wanted to run. I wanted the sermon to get over. It was so convicting. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you. Though for a little while. Thank God it grieved you. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. You did not get offended. You repented. And one of the things, let me tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, repentance is a gift from God. Every day I go to for the prayer in the morning. Sister Elsa is praying on the phone and Pastor and I, and she says, Lord, Grant us the gift of repentance. Grant us the gift of humility. Grant us the gift of repentance. Grant us the gift of humility. Because even repenting you cannot do in your own strength. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through this. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces what? Death. For you see Earnest, what earnestness this godly grief has, grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. Do you see a man who is spiritually violent ex- expressed in these verses? Spurgeon, in the same sermon he goes on to say, What happens to those people who come to church Expecting to get a touch from the Holy Spirit. This is what happens to them. Mark these violent people after they have gone home. (laughs) Hey, the meeting is not ending here. They go to their chambers and they begin to pray. Not that prayer between sleeping and walking. On waking that some of you are used to attend to. Not the drowsy supplication which never gets beyond the ceiling of your bedroom. But they fall on their knees and with a holy anxiety they begin to cry. Does it describe you? You know what they say? Lord, save or I perish. Oh Lord, save me and I am ready to perish. Lord, I beseech thee, stretch out thine hand and rescue my poor soul from the destruction which now haunts my spirit. And see them after they have prayed. What do they do? How they turn over to the word of God. Do you see spiritual violence, saints? Do you see that? Do you have this? You know, this describes a man. You know, how many of you know a man in the Old Testament who was spiritually violent? Let me see. One example. Uh, Elijah, maybe. I'm in context of repenting. Okay, let's see. Who contended with God? 
Yeah, thank you. Let me tell you something. You know, you know the story of Jacob fighting with God. Or not fighting with God, wrestling with God. Fighting is a very crude term, sorry. What, how, what was he, what was he doing there? What was he saying? Bless me, bless me. What is the blessing is he asking for? What is the blessing that he was asking for? It's recorded in Hosea chapter 12, by the way. Look at this is Jacob, the spiritual warrior. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel first. Right from birth. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. How he wept and sought his favor. You know something? I never saw this before. And I was years back on a third Saturday. What do you have on third Saturday? Fasting and prayer. You know, a pastor was telling us, you know, what did Jacob pray for? And he showed us Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, and I was stunned for the first time I saw that. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there he spoke with us, the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. And what happens? What does he say? So you by his help, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. That is Jacob. That is Jacob, saints. Let me tell you something. I attended every service in this church. And what you see is a product sigma total of all the meetings that I've attended. Including fasting and prayer. All night prayer. It takes a lot of hearing to preach. Do you know that? And this one I heard several years back and today in the morning the Holy Spirit reminded me of this. One word. How did Jacob contend? He strove with God, started weeping and seeking for his favor. You know what God was telling me? I remember when the first paper was due, my first paper, research paper was due. Several rejects. You know it, right? When you have several rejects. I went on my face before God and cried, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord. Let them accept my paper. Let them accept my paper. You wouldn't believe it was six months I cried. And on the day when the results were coming out, I was in before the computer till three o'clock in the morning. Four in the morning, I was waiting for the email. And then the email comes, accepted, oh! And you know what the Lord told me? The way you cried for your paper, did you ever cry for your sin? Did you ever cry for your sin? Some people cry for their job, Lord, job, Lord, job, Lord, job, Lord, job, Lord, job, Lord. After they get a job finished, they're gone. They're out. And let me tell you something. There is no passivity in God's kingdom. There is only earnestness. There are four categories of people. And if you know geometry, plain geometry, very nicely described. Let me give you a tutorial on geometry. This is what I call an acute angle. These are the people who are earnest. They are like this. They are waiting for the Holy Spirit to stir up the waters. What do they call us? Acute. Acute. You know what the word acute means, right? Sharp. Toward the preacher. Writing down notes. Absorbing everything. Going back home. Fighting with the word. Wrestling with the word. 
And there we also have another set of people called as obtuse angle people. They are like, <sighs> no, like this, and they fall asleep. <laughs> obtuse angle. You know what obtuse means? How can you be so obtuse? Indifferent. That's what it means. And there is a third category of people, what we call as right angle people. Stoic. Millions and upon millions on the valley of indecision. Nothing can move them. You bring them to church, you drag them to church. I am not getting converted. No. I am neither hot nor cold. And it's not, not going to take a long... You know, it's like this. First you are like this. Then you become like this. And then you become hardened. That's exactly what happens to you. Spiritually. Geometry teaches a lot of things, by the way. It's good to learn math. And in math, math Olympiad, you have only two things you have to learn. Geometry and number theory. Because God wrote numbers theory. And he also explained geometry. God wrote numbers, no. If you forgot. So you have people who are acute, who are inclined, who are absolutely clear and there is no passivity in their lives. And I've seen a lot of people becoming complacent. That's the reason why it says, the complacency of the fools will what? Destroy them. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 1, the last two verses. You see, you're right and not stoic people. And what happens ultimately? You know what happens? If you don't bend This is what you'll become. Spiritually dead. Sleep. Flat. This is what we call as straight angle. (laughs) This is actually not right angle. This is wrong angle. See my dear brothers and sisters, how many of you acute angle people over here in the house of God? That's what I tell Vilas is not here. Vilas is here. Yeah, I tell him, Vilas, you're very obtuse. <laughs> I told somebody, you know, they said they, they want to write NDA exam. Who are the, who are these, these, there, yeah, is there. Yes, I told him, you want NDA exam? I said, you know what? Nothing in your life comes easy. You have to be hardworking. You have to fish all night and catch nothing. Then the Lord will bless you. That's the principle in the kingdom. No passive. Passivity is one attitude the Lord hates. That is the reason why he tells the Corinthian church. He says, you know what? Many of you are weak. Many of you are sick. Many of you have fallen asleep. Dead. Dead. So don't negotiate with your flesh. Be at war. Goes on. The next. You have the flesh. Just giving you uh, small pointers, what I learned in my life. Romans chapter 12. How do you fight the world? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that by testing, I love that in this translation, I think it's the NIV or ESV if I'm right. And that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect? Don't compromise with the world. In other words, don't compromise on your standards. Look at what it says, 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world. 
or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. What is all? All. Okay. That is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You know what it means? There's one question I need to constantly keep asking myself. Am I compromised or am I consecrated? Compromised. Did I cut corners in my life? Or am I absolutely strong on my convictions? Chuck Swindle. In one of his sermons, he's talking about Lot. This is what he says. Stay alert to subtle hints. Hints of depravity, secret invasion might include toleration. Oh! People have become tolerant of what? Profanity, vulgarity, lowering personal standards and making light of sacred things. Stand firm in your authority to stop sin's current. Let me ask you this question and he says, has your sword become blunt? The sword which is the word of God. Has it become blunt or does it still cut? Have you compromised? It's very interesting, right? I remember the first time when we had satellite television in our, in our, in our, in our country. It was in the 1990s. We used to have Bible study in one of our relatives home. And they had Star TV for the first time. I mean, not for the first time. The, star, the very first time when they Star TV came, they had the cable connection in their home. And we used to gather in their home for Bible study on Sunday evenings. One day, we sat there. My uncle who takes the Bible study still didn't come. So we switched on the television. Flipping through the channels. And it was like, oh, we used to have, da, 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 da. we used to have those versions, right? Those days. And suddenly when we had all these options, all our eyes are glued, Star TV, Star Sports. And suddenly we had this, whatever, Star TV, you had this bold and beautiful. Suddenly bold and beautiful came in that, suddenly there was one scene which was there and immediately my aunt, she took off the, she took the television uh, remote and she switched off. Okay. She could not tolerate. She said, what nonsense is that? She switched it off. She. And now, I go to my uncle's home after several years. Item numbers going on. And what happens? They're all sitting around the table, eating food and watching item number. In 15 years. What you could not tolerate 15 years earlier, you have you know what has happened? Slightly, slowly, slowly, chalega, 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 chalega. The standards have come down and down and down and you cannot even blush anymore. Chuck Spindle quotes from the, from the New Living Translation. This is what he says. Carefully determine what 
pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 10 and 11. Don't touch it. You know, this happened in the in 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 the in the in the, in the Ephesians church, or Corinthian church, by the way. This is what ha- this is what Paul will say. This is an indictment. He's he's tearing them apart in First Corinthians chapter five, verse one onwards. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as not even mentioned among the Gentiles. Your standards have become so compromised. Now it is worse than the Gentiles. Isn't it amazing that it's a Christian nations? Which have actually compromised the standards. And all the other countries which still come from conservative backgrounds, they look at it, they call it, this is Christianity? What is this? I remember Nabil Qureshi, you know. He was searching for God. And then David would invite him to a church. And then Nabil was sitting, and he, he, he said he never came to, came to a church, and this was a kind of an evangelical church, and they were having praise and worship, and in the worship there were these girls with tight t-shirts praising God. And he looked at them and he said, boy, my religion people are not dressed like this. I mean, this was his, his question as a Muslim. Sisters, you know, uh, I was listening to uh, sometime back, Rishi and I were having a discussion, and he said, Anna, when a girl comes to us to my office and she is really skimpily dressed, and if she's not a believer and she, if she's a Hindu, you know what, I can see it and I can have pity on her, but if a believer girl comes to the office and she is dressed in a skimpy attire, you know what happens? I can immediately see rebellion in her. I can immediately sense that. Hmm, you see that? And then he says, and you are puffed up. A lot of people, this is my liberty, Baba. This is my liberty. They're puffed up. They have not mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in the body and present in the spirit, I have already judged them who has done this deed. And you know what he says? In the name of our Lord and Jesus, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh and that the spirit might be saved. Oh, I don't know how many <laughs> people can survive this in today's church. And then he goes on and says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, a little compromise, that's exactly what we were looking at on Sunday. A little leaven of worldliness. Leaven the whole lump. Fight that leaven. Are you compromised? Are you consecrated? Chuck Swindle, he goes on to say, Declare and model your standard repeatedly. Post in your home a list of biblical virtues and standards and review them often. Do we do that? Have we revisited our standards? How have we compromised? You know it. I know it. 
Commit yourselves. This is again quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the New Living Translation. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Repeat them again and again to whom? To your children. You know, sometime back, Justin and I, we went to this James Bond movie. Okay. And this was after we came to church, by the way. Let us be honest, candid. We went and saw this movie. And then you, you know, James Bond is a MI6 agent and he's got a lot of other things also up his sleeve. So the scene comes and Justin is looking at me like that. And I'm like, uh, I mean, I didn't observe, I just looked at the screen and I just let it go. After the movie was over and she said, why were you watching that? I said, honey, you, there was only an implication, nothing Explicit. Implication. Implication. And she made a very powerful statement. I'll never forget that. She said, you know, will you be okay if Abigail watches that? I was stunned. I mean, I have no answer for that. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 18. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a milestone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. I am telling you honestly, so many couples and parents should have milestones around their necks. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offenses come. And offenses, can it come to the parents? Can it come to the parents? What happened to your standards, parents? In this context, look at what he says. Matthew chapter 18. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, be violent against it. Cut it off! You know why? Because your children are worth it. Your children are worth it. That's been my passion for a long time now. I remember pastor telling me, oh, I used to go in the car, I get frustrated. With the traffic. Matrubasha comes out, but not, not obscene language, but you know, he interviewed. The pastor looked at me and he said, Vijay, next time you open your mouth like that and Abigail is watching, she will also say, interview. That interview will go somewhere else later on. Look at what he says in John's, John's Gospel chapter 7. He sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into this world, also I am sending them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Why? You know, you want to know the answer why? Go on reading. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also to those who believe me through the word that they preach. There will be a set of people will be observing not only the word that you preach, the lifestyle that you follow. That they all may be one. As you father are in me and I in you, 
that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The life of your children is at stake. The spiritual destiny of your children. So, my dear brothers and sisters and parents, revisit your standards and revise them. Make your knife sharp and let your convictions become sharper tonight. Don't compromise. Consecrate. Finally, James chapter 4. You have the other person also, right? James chapter 4, verse 7. Quote from memory. Okay, no problem. Submit to God, resist the devil. You know, there's a period, right? So, Peter elaborates the period between submission and resisting. What does he say? First Peter chapter 5. Likewise, you younger people. How many young people here? Submit yourselves to the elders. That is how you submit to God. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon you for he cares for you. And then, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking him whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. How do you resist him? By submitting to every authority that God has placed you under. That is how. You resist. You know why? The kingdom of God is a, is a kingdom which works on authority. It's on authority. It's either obedience or what we call a submission or rebellion. Question today to many of us here in the house of God. Are we really obedient? Are we really, really, really obedient? Check your obedience. And I will tell you how much you are overcoming the devil in your life. Check your obedience. Check your obedience to the word of God. Check your submission to the authorities that God has placed you under. One of the things that we keep telling, you know, in our own school, we have a set of children, we say, if you want the blessing of God in your life, submit to authority. Submit to authority. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. You know why? Because all of them by default are rebels. Have you seen a two-year-old girl? You know, two-year-old girl who are, who's like, you know, very nice and cute and looks very harmless. You say, hello little one, come here, come here, come here, come here. That is default. That is default position. If you cannot Teach them to be submissive and obedient when they are young. And tell them that there are consequences for your disobedience. When they grow up, they will become more sophisticated rebels. 
Let me tell you, in my home, long time back, right in front of my mother, I said some word, Samskutam. And she heard it. And you know what? In my home, we were taught to obey. And he said, what did you say? What did you say? Karanu, Karanu. And she brought Karam from home, from the kitchen. Nalukji I have, she said, you know what? Rebellion will have consequences. I was taught. Right from childhood. Disobedience has consequences. I was taught. She told me once. She said, you know what? Vijay, tomorrow is your exam. I know there's a birthday party. Don't come for your cousin's birthday party. I know it's first birthday. You study at home. I have to go. She went. You know what I did? I called my uncle, 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 uncle. What am I doing? Circumventing authority. So my uncle said, okay, okay, aim para I came para later on. So after he came and he picked me on the bike and he took me to the birthday party. And there I see my mother. And she looked at me like that. I just ignored her. And she said, you ignore me? Come back home. Tomorrow is unit exam. Okay. And obviously, I'm mean, unit exam, some exam was there. I don't know. I forget what exam. And she said, first birthday, she made me study the whole night. And I did not finish the syllabus. And by the time the exam time came, I have to leave to school. I did not finish the exam. She said, you're not going to school because you did not finish your syllabus. You see here, a man under authority is because I was taught that disobedience has consequences. And let me tell you something. Not boasting. I can take correction from anybody. I always ask God. Easy for me to submit because I was taught the consequences of disobedience and rebellion. Right from child. My dear parents, take this to heart. Don't say, Are, what is it? What is He knows everything. You know something? You tell, you ask, you tell your, no, Derek Prince gives this example. He says, you know what? Tell your, tell your daughter, you know what? You cannot eat biscuit. No. No biscuit for you. Okay? Don't ask me. And suddenly, after a while, your friend comes home for a snack. Suddenly, what will happen? Right in front of your friend when you take the biscuit packet and serve. Mommy, can I have a biscuit? And then you are like what? Embarrassed. And you have to give a biscuit. They know very well when to catch you. There are two dirty words, Derek Prince says, in Christianity. Two dirty words. Manipulation. Domination. And everybody, every rebel by default is a manipulator. Not robotic manipulator. Human manipulator. <laughs> right from childhood. And you don't treat your children. I mean, I, I want to go into this because I want to stop here. Uh, that is a, that's a completely, it's like a seamless topic. You have to teach that. Because it's a huge, huge, huge topic. But I want to tell you something. Learn to yield to authority. Learn to be accountable. Learn to submit. And it will go well with you. Otherwise, you know what God will say? You are just like the devil. Rebel. And that fellow will come, 
nicely devour you and you have no idea that you are being devoured by the enemy. Because both of you are proud. And you know, let me tell you honestly, so many people in Christendom absolutely lose electrons. He who has chemistry, yes, will hear. Absolute lose electrons. You know what God is saying? Let this be the year. You learn to submit. I don't want to go there. So you have three enemies, my dear brothers and sisters. The flesh, the world, and the devil. How are you violencing? Is a question I want to leave with this evening. How are you violencing? Are we compromised? Are you acute? Are you absolutely serious about your walk with the Lord? Or have you taken it easy? And if you have taken it easy, let me tell you something. You are the prime target of the enemy. And as Zach Poonen says, and as Derek Prince says, you deserve to be deceived. You deserve to be deceived. Because evil men and imposters will wax more wicked and wicked in the last days. And I don't want to be found among the crowd who is rebellious. No, 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 Lord. And every day in the night I pray for my children. Not, not most of not every day. Most of the times I pray. I said, Lord, whenever I have this, you know, spirit converts, I said, Lord, give my children a meek, gentle, submissive, quiet spirit. So that it'll go well with them. Every day. Take that opportunity as a father and speak that into the lives of your children. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord, that you have quickened us this evening. You have exhorted us in a measure. And even as we continue to meditate upon your word, you would stir us up more and more and more. And make us more and more submissive, more obedient, more people who are able to fight in these last days have the strength to resist what is coming in the days ahead, O Lord. Because evil days are coming. Perilous times are coming. And you're looking for a church who's prepared. Who's a set of people who can obey orders from the command center in heaven. Train us to be spiritually violent in the days to come. Thank you, Father. We praise you. We worship. In Jesus' name. Amen.